So welcome back to Civil Action with Brian Kavadek and Sean Karnicki. And Sean, you're with me today? I am with you. Excellent. And we have somebody else here with us today, too. We have Michael Childress from our office. Morning, everyone. Michael Childress is an international expert on insurance, uh, on property claims, and has handled cases all around the United States and in other countries, including New Zealand and Australia and who knows where else. And uh, Michael recently joined our firm. So we're going to talk to Michael in a second. But before we do that, Sean, tell people how they can reach us and how they can complain about you. Um, you can, no complaints about me, but complaints about Brian, you could direct them to us at kbklawyers.com. Those are not accepted. We have a filter set up now that No, no, those. you can send it directly to me. Uh, but kbklawyers.com, you can find us online there. Normally our podcast covers new cases that have come down from the appellate court. Um, and we try to educate people on that. So as part of our effort to educate people, we are going to be talking about, uh, the insurance industry, because so that's something that we episode, really like to do. We're going to entitle this episode Fear and Loathing in the Insurance Industry. That's For perfect. those of you old enough to remember Hunter S. Thompson, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, uh, or some of his other Fear and Loathing sort of episodes, I think it's Fear and Loathing in the Insurance Industry. Because <laughs> one thing that we know, if you do this work long enough, you know that the insurance industry spreads fear as a way of getting people both to not file claims and to settle their claims early. But before we get into that, uh, let's just sort of talk here about what's been going on with COVID and business interruption insurance. Michael, what are you seeing out there? Well, you know, recently you saw that uh, Lionsgate was reporting what uh, an, an incredible amount of losses due to COVID-19. And, and when I read that, um, the first thing I thought about was who is advising them on their insurance claims because um, that was not a very savvy way to report their losses. Um, you know, the losses are probably not actually due to COVID. They're probably actually due to the government shutdown orders. Um, but so they, they seem uh, poorly served in terms of uh, their claims presentation. Um, the other things that we're seeing is, uh, uh, you know, the industry has definitely uh, gotten together and gotten on the same page about um, denying the claims, as well as um, playing the the uh, violin about about uh, their imminent demise should the claims be uh, required. Yeah, have to be you paid. seen a single claim, with the exception of Wimbledon, who's had a claim, who apparently had their and the Olympics, their, their claim paid, and the Olympics? Yeah. Right. So, but they the, had specific coverage for pandemic, right? They had. Bought coverage for, for event cancellation, event yeah. cancellation, yeah. Not very specialized okay. insurance. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. most people I don't I mean, if my wife bought event cancellation insurance for every event we have at our house, I, you know, I wouldn't have any money left. <laughs> what, I, what I have seen is uh, policies with contamination coverage being denied because there's no contamination. There's no actual virus in the facility. And so, you know, the industry clearly wants to have it both ways. Right. Well, I mean, I think what the industry has decided to do is make a clear and, and, and ambiguous statement that if you make your claim, it's going to be denied. That is correct. And yeah, that's the message that they've put out. And Michael is absolutely right. They're all on the same page. They have a unified message. And that's why I think, and this isn't a plug for us specifically. We're not saying sure bring your cases to us. I mean, we'd love to talk to you about them. But but really, no, it's an invitation to other lawyers out there that are handling these cases, that are getting these cases or getting these claims to kind of coordinate with other lawyers that are doing it like us. You know, right. we, we, we want to be able to present a unified front with everybody else and have a unified message and not do the opposite of this. Yeah, but let's let's go back to let's go back to the insurance industry because I think this is very interesting. I think they have a long storied history 
of doing this. And I think one of the ways that they have consistently put the word out on the street about claims is through sort of their fraud program over the oh, years. Oh, absolutely. You see it You see it in every disaster that occurs. The insurance industry got very, very organized in the, in the mid-90s as a result of the McKinsey Consulting Initiative that started out with Allstate, and it has since spread to every carrier in the world, essentially. And part of the messaging is, after every disaster, they get to the Department of Insurance and they explain um, the fraud that will be expected as a result of the disaster. And they also explain why public adjusters and uh, policyholder lawyers are going to try to take advantage and create coverage where none exists. And then we saw the same thing here. Well, let me tell you this little story. You said the mid-90s, but, you know, for those of you that know me know that I was involved in the insurance litigation against the insurance companies, particularly New York Life and others, arising out of the Armenian genocide oh, of right. 1915. Right. Mm -hmm. And one of the most amazing documents that I ever came across in my entire career was a letter that the League of Nations, for those of you that remember, the League of Nations was a precursor to the United UN. Nations. Yeah. Woodrow Wilson. It was his it was his baby. That's right. And the League of Nations had uh, um, a committee set up on the Armenian refugee problem um, in the early 1920s. And they wrote a letter to New York Life. Uh, they were represented by one of those large New York firms where the Dulles brothers, who later went on to become Secretary of State and I think Secretary of Defense. Alan Dulles, right. Uh, and what the airport was named, they were either named after the airport or the airport was named after them. It's I'm not sure. It's the latter, probably. Okay. And uh, they they were partners at that law firm, and the League of Nations wrote that law firm and said, we have this problem with these Armenians that are here. Some of them claim they have insurance policies that were purchased with your company. Will you please search your records, and will you please find for me uh, us for us names of your policyholders so we can post them, and any of these people can make a claim? And they went on the letter to make a plea, and they said it may be a small amount of money, but it will change their lives. And they wrote back and said, we are terribly sorry. We don't have any list you're referring to, and we can't help you. Wow. And that was an utter and complete lie, lie because there I was about 15 years ago withholding in my hand microfiche copy of the policyholder cards that New York Life had of every single person who bought one of those policies in the Ottoman Empire. That's incredible. So – the line and the misrepresentation isn't new in the insurance industry. Oh, it correct. just gets to new levels, new heights. Well, and you know, it's 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 in the in the vein of the uh, best defense is a good offense by attacking the policyholders relentlessly by uh, having special uh, investigation units that are established for the sole purpose of prosecuting shareholder fraud um, uh, by their communications with the. Um, attorney generals and and the prosecutors for the different states. Um, it's exactly how they do that. Well, and I think what ultimately happens is that the word gets out on the street, uh, don't make a claim. And certainly, you know, when they dress it up in fraud, that's fine. But what they're really, the message they're really trying to send is fear. Right. I was going to ask, what is the purpose of these special investigation departments that they have and the fraud departments they have? Is it, is it just to deter, is it really to root out fraud or is it to deter legitimate claims? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I think it's both. They're obligated under yeah. the insurance code to have an SIU. But I think the bigger issue really, Sean, isn't the SIU. It's the totality of everything that goes on out there because 
you know, most people don't end up being investigated for fraud, but most people are afraid to argue with their insurance company. Absolutely. The statistic is that 95% of people accept what their insurance company says and walk away and do not get professional assistance. And and they take the first dollars that are offered. Right. And they accept what they're told by their insurance company. Insurance companies are better off to pay a small amount of money than to pay no money. Well, and that is the McKinsey model um, back in the in the mid-90s. And that was their advice to Allstate. And that is uh, offer a small amount of money. And if they don't settle, then fight them for the entire length of the legal process. Yeah, it's such an interesting topic because what what we have now is that from the very beginning, the insurance companies came out and said, this is not covered. This was never intended to be covered. It's not covered. And how many people have we talked to who have said, it's not covered. Why bother? Right, right. I mean, almost almost every conversation starts that way. Anyone we talk to, whether it's lawyers that aren't familiar with insurance practice or potential clients, they say, well, it, it, my policy doesn't have it or my policy has a virus exclusion. You know, they, they immediately start with that. And they've gotten that impression from somewhere. And I think generally over the course of time, insurance companies have given off that impression that, you know, things like this shouldn't be covered and you shouldn't bother. And or or even now specifically through the media, they've they've been putting out that message. Well, and there's dishonesty in that message because absolutely the virus exclusion was never intended to apply on the general basis that they're now trying to apply it. We got the regulatory filings for the virus exclusion when it was filed back in, in 2006. And it's very, very clear from those filings that the intent was to exclude virus damage caused in the property that's insured, not just some omnibus. Like filing. actual contamination. Exactly. Right, Someone gets sick. The, and the, same, yeah. the same exclusion talks about mold and fungus right. and dry rot right. Right. and things like that, which right. obviously there's no mold epidemic or right. pandemic, right? Right. right. So then they come out because that's not enough for the insurance industry. Right. Because I'll tell you another little story here is that within a couple of days of our firm getting some publicity and filing cases, uh, I got a phone call from friends of mine who are knee deep in the insurance sales part of the insurance world. And they said, you're trying to ruin the insurance industry. You're right. going to put the insurance right. industry out of business. Because that's the message that they were sending out very early is that if we have to pay these claims – were be ruined. And that is the consistent message. I was on the phone yesterday with an adjuster from an insurance company who was going through his coverage analysis. And I said, you know, with all due respect, you you, you might um, understand if, if I disagree. And he says, well, you better hope that it's not covered because it, if it is, every insurance company is going to be going bankrupt. Right. And I mean, obviously the messaging is... is, is Which is such bullshit, right? How, how likely is crazy. that? What's the possibility of that happening, Brian? Or of Michael? every insurance company going bankrupt or of the majority or of most or whatever word yeah, you want to yeah, use? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Impossible. Well, and, and they've, they've put a number of, of structures in place to avoid that from occurring. Um, they have reinsurance. They have cat catastrophe insurance, and I guarantee that this has been deemed a catastrophe such that they can pass it off to the cat bond um, uh, risk holders as well as the reinsurers. So so in other words, they're, in, they're insured for this type of right. Of, risk. of course. Insurance companies buy insurance. They do. Yeah, that's what they do. They offload the risk. Exactly. So maybe that's one myth to dispel here. That, right. That people often say, well, what's the point of doing this? If, if, if it is successful, then, then it's all going to You know what I also think they've done, Sean, down. is I also think that they've taken 
the the they've estimated what the total losses would be from COVID closures. The total loss, not the insured losses, the total losses from them. And they've then assumed everybody's fully insured for every single loss, for every single claim that could possibly make. And they've aggregated that. And then they say, you know, it's a trillion dollars or whatever the number that's right. been. And we're not, you know, the whole insurance industry doesn't have a trillion dollars. Their surplus was $900 million at the end of last year. It was an all-time record. I think more what they're talking about is the losses they're going to experience in the markets. That they, for their investments. Yeah. Meanwhile, um, other little hidden secret here: the the insurance market, the sales side of the insurance market has gone hard. So policies and been now, hard. Yes, it, been hard and getting harder. And yeah. it means your it means folks, your insurance rates are going up while you're not getting your claims paid. That's a great business. <laughs> I need to go into that business. <laughs> Just like the oil crisis. Um, and how. Have you seen anything comparable to this, Michael? Because you guys have been both doing this for a longer sure. time. Have you seen like a big onslaught of claims during other situations? You, you've dealt in other disasters, right? Well, Michael? I mean, most recently, the Woolsey Fire, um, pretty similar situation, except more localized. Obviously, it was it was largely in Malibu and Agora Hills and whatnot. But very large. I mean, some of the most expensive real estate in the world. It was, and they can't get insurance out there now. And those that have, have gotten insurance, I have one client who's who was quoted an insurance premium that he, he had paid uh, $15,000 for prior to the fire, was quoted $300,000 for his premium for this for the same structure the structure was only wow. smoke and ash damage it was not burned 300,000 wow yeah. and did those claims put the insurance you know the, the insurers out of business of course did it did. jeopardize any of them of did course it they did, didn't. Did, did anyone hear about insurance companies struggling as a result of those? And, well that's and, the other thing they do though Sean is that as soon as like a big loss like the the Woolsey fire that's the Malibu fire or the campfire that's the one up in uh, Pleasant, California? Pleasure. Pleasure. Pleasure, California. Pleasure. Yeah. No, that's um, paradise. That's a Trump joke. They they immediately say, we're leaving the state. Right. We're leaving the state of right. California. We're never going to come back. Right. You have see any it? of them left? Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, some have. But you see it with, uh, you know, after every hurricane as well. There's a big shift in the, in the, in the market and uh, premiums go through the roof. Yeah, and that's what happened in Florida in the first decade of the century when right. there was a number of hurricanes that we worked on together, Michael. And, that's right. And um, But the state of Florida had actually created its own insurance company, right? Isn't that where citizens Citizens, came? yes. And uh, some market from um, Australia came along, right? QBE, and yes. They, they set up insurance. So the insurance market is a financial services market. It's a it's a it's an investment market, and there will always be an insurance market. Right. Now I'm sure somebody listening to this is going to say, "Oh, well, yeah, unless you 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 greedy lawyers put it out of business, right?" There's no chance, though. What has been proven over and over and over again, even after a disaster, when the when various carriers will leave the state, is some carrier will come back in. If there's somebody willing to pay premium, they're willing to accept it. Right. I mean, the, the insurance industry has done a masterful job for decades of, you know, you're in good hands, fast, right. friendly, fair. Back to where you belong. Right. We're going to get you back to where you belong. Get, they get, you know, they get people out there. They're, like on, you, they're on your side. Like a good um, neighbor. Yep. They're, yeah, they're a good neighbor. They're on your side. Right. And what's funny is, I mean, this is anecdotal. I don't know if I've seen any studies about it, but if you watch – TV now, or even even online, I mean, you see significantly more insurance ads than you've ever seen before. Insurance ads and liquor are basically yeah. all the advertising yeah. and automobiles. 
So the I in COVID stands for insurance. <laughs> I know the C stands for carbohydrates. Carbohydrates. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And O stands for overeating. That's well, right. I mean, I, I I blame the insurance industry also for their sort of campaign of misinformation by putting the you know the president of these various insurance companies up there on what looked to be like someone's on their home Zoom, you know. Yeah. Uh, and they're saying how great they are because they're refunding money to the consumers. And right? let's talk about that for a moment. I mean, was that voluntary or not? Well, in California, it wasn't because, you know, Prop 103 in California requires insurers to have some relationship between their losses and their the, the premiums they're charging. Precisely. And and lawyers were looking at maintaining lawsuits uh, for that inequity. And then suddenly the, the carriers all turn over and start voluntarily making making and not they, just and, lawyers, but consumer protection groups were out there saying, wait a yeah. minute, what's, what's going on here? But they right. presented as something they did gratuitously. They you know, do. Here you go. The thank, marketing. Thank you so much. Here as a thank you to support you were doing this. Right. It wasn't like the president of State Farm, who's in one of these commercials, got visited by the ghost of Jacob Marley the night before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Decided to do the right yeah, thing, yeah. right? I'm sure this was, you know, solid advice they were getting. I think one of the things that people don't understand is the massive marketing structure and messaging that the insurance companies engage in pretty much at all times. I mean, even if you look at your your State Farm ads where they're innocuous and they've got the the broker who's coming in and saving people and it's suggesting to people that they the, their first call should be to their broker when they have a claim, when in point of fact, the brokers have absolutely no authority to handle claims and don't actually, actually they, they hurt people in claims by suggesting that it's not covered. Yeah, explain loss that. ratio. I mean, I think that's always a fascidating subject that most yeah, people don't understand. Brokers, yeah, so uh, this is brokers, not agents, but brokers receive commissions, as everyone knows, and those commissions are are disclosed. But there's a second commission that that, that sometimes the company will get, or the individual brokers would get, will get if their if their business is big enough, and it's it's uh, based on the loss ratios, and that's the ratio between the amount of premium that's received on their clients versus the amount of losses that are paid out. And where there's an excess of premium versus losses, then their commissions are bigger. Right. They, they, so they're motivated. Yeah, they, they get a bigger percentage depending on their – or a smaller percentage depending on their loss ratio, right? Correct. It kicks in. So they have a vested interest in discouraging insureds from making they claims. Have, they have a contingent interest in reducing losses. There is no question that everybody in the insurance industry in some aspect is designed to minimize claims. That's, that is their business. Remember – there are three ways insurance companies make money. They sell premiums. That's obvious. Number two is they invest the money. And I mean, that used to be a lot more successful for right. insurance companies because the rates are so low today. And so the third way they make money is not pay claims that their actuarials tell them they would have to pay. So at any given year, they, they realize they're going to have to pay, say, $9 billion out in claims, if they can shave several hundred million dollars off of that. Right. They beat it. They beat the market. You know, that's, and, that's what it is. And the, and the bogey for loss ratios used to be 100. And if you were at 100, you were doing very, very good as an insurance company. It's now at 70. The, the national average was 70. And, and that's the direct result. Like of, the ratio between premiums and, and claims? Yeah. And the, that's the direct result of them turning their their claims departments into 
profit centers. Right. Uh, I was just going to say, now it sounds like the claims department was an actual service and now it's, it's a kind of business operation designed to make profit for them. It's completely shifted. In the old days of a, of a dollar of premium, 55 cents was set aside for claims. 45 cents was the amount that they were using for acquisition costs, as well as for investing and making money. And that's where, and that's where they made their money by the money they were holding. But that 55 cents was, you know, largely considered, you know, trust money that was for claim payment for their policyholders. And at some point in the mid-90s, they decided that that 55 cents was too much and they were going to try to erode it down to 50, down to 45. And so now they're 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 only paying 70% of that 55 cents. They've taken 30% of the 55 cents. Yeah, I want to go back to this original theme, though, of our fear and loathing, um, which is, the more I think about it, it's so applicable to the insurance industry, right? right? Because they build fear and we loathe them. Yeah. For so, it. are we speculating that hallucinogens are involved in in some of the messaging? <laughs> no, I think they're stone cold sober in what they do. But very I, I, calculating. I think it is calculated, and I think that you know, if you went out, and this would be interesting to do, if you went out and you surveyed people on the street, I think the vast majority of people would believe that a they're never going to have to make a major claim, right? Right. And and b that if they did, their insurance company would bend over backwards to help them. So you know. That goes to my like my favorite saying about how you have to convince policyholders that it's time to sue their insurance company, which comes from Kubler-Ross's book on death and dying, which those of us that went to college, which would immediately exclude you, Sean, but those of us that actually went to college would have probably read at some point, you know, death and oh, dying. reading. I can't do reading. Uh, so it's DABDA, denial, anger, <coughs> bargaining, depression, and acceptance, the five stages. And, and what I think policyholders go through are those five stages of realizing that they've been screwed by their insurance company. That's absolutely yeah, Screwed true. is a legal term. That's, that's a legal term, yeah. insurance term, yeah. yeah. No, they start out with, uh, I thought they were going to help me, and, and we see this consistently. They're not, they're not, they're not, screw- it's not me, it, it's not yeah. me that they're doing this yeah. to. Yeah. And I've seen this in my even kind of short career, short than, than your careers, I've seen it already. You know, they they come and you see the file too, and you see their correspondences with the insurance company. And thank you so much, you know, Mister Mister Adjuster, and and you know, let's get this resolved. I really appreciate this, and then slowly starts eroding from there, and then eventually they go, he, they played me. They played Absolutely. me. And I mean, look, it's not the individual adjusters. It's not like the insurance industry attracts a certain type of person that, that's inherently evil. That's their job. I mean, the business model has become, as Michael said, Absolutely. In, in, in the olden days, it used to be that they were providing a service and right. they were actually trying to take care of it. And now the business model has shifted to turning into a profit center. So they're incentivized to pay out less on the claims. You bet. Two other uh, uh, messages of fear that are communicated kind of subtly, but but it's it's a theme that I hear from people is, are my premiums going to go up if I make a claim? And am I going to get canceled? I've been hearing that a lot in with these uh, business interruption And, and what's cases. your response to that? Well, um, they may, but generally... Uh, the insurance indus- insurance companies are making these decis- decisions on a book of business basis, and your individual loss history is not going to impact it that much. Right. So um, if it's going to go up, it's going to go up anyway. Correct. And if they're going to leave a market, then then they may well cancel you. But it's going to have more to do with your loss history over the, over the course of time than any one claim. And it's not going to be exclusively because you made a claim for you know, business interruption you sustained during during the pandemic. And, and one thing I correct you on too is is that's a misuse of the word because always the the consumer, the client, the insured says to us, I'm gonna be canceled. If the insurance company cancels you, that's probably a bad faith case. Right. 
the, if they non-renew you, that's right. voluntary. Because, right. But that means at the end of the term with giving you ample notice and an opportunity to find new insurance. Uh, cancellation is just in the middle of your policy Mid-term, term. It just right. isn't going to happen. That's a fact. Right, because you've contracted with them for a certain period of time for them to provide you benefits. Well, and in California, they have very strong statutes about mm-hmm. what's proper a reason for cancellation and not yeah. making and, it very limited. Um so, you know, kind of wrap this up, but what do we do about this? I mean, you know, if we had a billion dollars to do an advertising campaign, right? That would be the most fun advertising campaign in the history of the world. Lack of information, lack of education of insurance consumers is the bane of our existence, really. People do not understand the true nature of what it is they're facing. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine public service announcements? Right. Um, your your insurance company is, is trying not, to F you. Is not here to help you. Yeah. 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 Maybe we can hire Des- Dennis Haspert. <laughs> you you paid premium. You paid premiums. You should collect your claim. Yeah, all so, state. That's right. But they are a behemoth. They're screwing they, you. I mean, it is a real problem because they are a behemoth. They they have like they, almost unlimited. If there's any industry that has unlimited resources, I mean, they would be one of them. They they would be close to unlimited. Just look at the names on the high rise office buildings. Yeah, yeah. throughout the world. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. How about if you got a series of, you know, right now they're running those series of ads as public service campaigns against smoking and they get like victims of smoking to talk about like their horrible injuries and deformities and death and stuff like that. What if we got a series of uh, ad campaigns about people that have been effed over by their insurance companies? I mean, all kidding aside, uh, that that there's yeah. a decent population. Know your rights. Like yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I think that I think what lawyers need to do, presuming that most of our people that listen to this are lawyers, I think lawyers need to do is they need to do a good job early on educating their clients and telling their clients to tell their friends and families about their bad insurance experience. Now, I will say this, though. Every jury trial I've had on bad faith, there is inevitably multiple people in the jury pool who have had a bad experience with their insurance. That's a fact. And instinctively, people know that insurance companies are – are up to no good at some level, right? And that's where the fear of of increased premiums or a cancellation or non-renewal come in because the, that impacts the jurors as well. Yeah. Fundamentally, so, I, I know I'm going to get screwed when I make this claim, but there's nothing I can do about it. That's or if I of, award this person a large amount of money, it may adversely impact my premiums. Right? Hey, maybe I've that's seen that as well. That's, I mean, that's a good answer to your question, Brian. Well, what do we do about this? We fight back. Um, you know, and, and as lawyers, we have the ability, the, the privilege and the opportunity to represent these people that are that are marginalized in, in a sense, economically, at least as a result of their dealing with the insurance company. And, you know, as lawyers, we have a duty to, to help serve these people and, and you know, do the right thing and take on these cases and keep fighting back. I mean, they're vil- they're they're easy to vilify. Um, and that's that's maybe some incentive for lawyers to go after that. So we're sitting here talking about fear and loathing in the insurance industry and to sort of as wrap up, Michael, any final thoughts? Well, um, it's certainly all around us. Fear is a big, you know, in these COVID times, everybody's just a little bit afraid and, and susceptible um, to being tipped over by fear. Uh, what I can tell you is that if you're a business and it's been interrupted and you've been closed down, uh, your insurance policy more than likely should respond to it. Yeah, what do you got to lose at this point? Sean, yeah. final thoughts? Um, kind of like what I was just saying, you know, you fight back and, and press back and don't accept, you know, but there's no coverage or there's an exclusion. The agent told me there's no coverage. Fight back. We have a duty to do that. 
it's a it's not a level playing field for these people that we represent and we have a duty to fight back and and represent them to the best of our abilities and it's why you have insurance you're never going to get your premiums back and you know i think ultimately at the end of the day um the insurance industry is a behemoth and they are um well-funded and they step on little guys and we're all little guys i mean everyone's a little guy compared to the insurance industry so you know the the better laws that can exist and the the better ability to make claims and present claims and openness in the insurance industry is something that we hope for but in the meantime this is where we are right now and uh, i've been practicing for over 30 years michael's been practicing close to 40 and and it's gotten worse and worse and i can tell you uh, until we all do something, it's it's not going to get better. So thank you all for listening to Civil Action today with Sean Karnicki and Brian Kavitek and our very special guest, Michael Childress. Uh, appreciate, we appreciate your comments. You can reach us, Sean, how? Uh, they could reach us at kbklawyers.com and we appreciate all your feedback and you can follow us on all social media, email us if you have questions and uh, tune in again next time. Thank you.